Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Yep. And so we are on day 76 of the legislative session. Um, we just saw the governor's roadshow this week. Um, it seemed to be kind of the main main event. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get to go to any of these? Uh, no, because I live in southeast Alaska and he did not visit us. I'm, I may be presumably because this is where the legislature is and because he's already engaging somehow. But I don't think there's been an opportunity to to um, speak or address the governor here, aside from maybe if you're a member of like a chamber of commerce or something. Well, there really hasn't been much of an opportunity to speak or address the governor on the roadshow either. Um, so that was, so he held these series of roadshow events in Kenai, Anchorage, um, Nome, Fairbanks, and uh, the Matsu. I got to go to the one in Anchorage. Um, it was interesting. Well, tell me, tell me about it, Matt. What, what, what would it, what did it, what was the sense like when you approached the the place? What would, what did it feel like? What were people saying? Yeah. Um, what, how did you feel? So it was interesting. So I, I uh, signed up as a regular person and went through a ticketed system like that. I guess you're supposed to be, if you're media, supposed to be getting credentialed for it, um, which I, did, I honestly don't know if I had asked what I, what kind of permission I would have gotten. So. Anyways, yeah. so I showed up to the building. It's at was at 49th State, 49th State uh, Brew Pub place. Um, it's not very big, really not big. I got a trivia there, and even for trivia, it was small. And there was a big protest outside, probably about 300 people um, being led by um, uh, some Anchorage people. Uh, you had Forrest Dunbar, uh, Mayor Ethan Berkowitz, really kind of riling up the crowd. I think there was a really good line where... Um, uh, Ethan Berkowitz referenced uh, Wally Hickel's uh, line: "If it's good for Alaska, do it, and if it's bad for Alaska, screw it." And uh, anyways, that's what—that's definitely what the, the sort of the feeling was outside. And so you go inside though, and it's a completely different kind of scene. It's quite quiet. Uh, there's not none of these protesters. Uh, there's a, definitely a few people there that uh, you can kind of look around, and so you can see the people who definitely didn't feel. Uh, very welcome there, I guess, and I'd include myself. Um, you, I mean, it was like it was catered. There was fancy food spread. There was a a, a bar in the back. Uh, I think it was. Uh, it kind of opened my eyes. I think my takeaway, and I'll kind of get to jump to that right real quick, is that you know I think th this governor's budget is really kind of for wealthy people. I think that's kind of the the takeaway i've sort of seen this week is that this is really a divisive budget for the haves and have-nots and i you know and so a lot of the discussion this week has sort of been um about how his budget affects rural alaska is it sort of a form of is it therefore a form of institutional racism if it's sort of targeting alaska rural alaska like that right um, and and that was a question that was asked on um talk of alaska right I, I don't remember it verbatim but it was basically this budget disproportionately affects rural alaska and um rural alaska is is a, most of rural alaska is alaska natives and so um, is this budget an example of institutional racism? And you immediately responded by posting an article that had been written um, last year by a contributor to your site. Can, um, tell me, tell tell me about that, that and and why you felt that was relevant. So his answer to the question th this week, and there's a couple other questions about you know rural Alaska that didn't 
explicitly call him racist either but his response to all of them is essentially that like well look my wife is alaska native and i i taught in rural alaska and so i know all these alaska native people and therefore it's not therefore it's not racist and so it can't possibly be you can't possibly be right and so and like my friends are alaska native so therefore i can't be racist and so um you know it, it, we've heard kind of these sort of same sentiments like not only on you know, he he's not the only person who's done this you know this is a thing that a lot of politicians have done sort of for a long time um it was something that was really kind of bothering a lot of younger people i think especially because you know we've seen this we've seen kind of don young do it we've seen um u.s senator dan sullivan do it and so we published at the, the midnight sun an article by amanda frank who's a young alaska native woman who's really um engaged and it was talking about you know it's fine that you're married to an Alaska Native woman, but like that action by itself is not a signal of support and shouldn't be counted as it. And what really matters is what you do and what sort of policies you advocate for, what kind of fights you come to fight for. And so, you know, she's talked about it was sort of published in the same time when Dan Sullivan was supporting Brett Kavanaugh, you know, for the U.S. Supreme Court. And she was talking about how, you know, Alaska Native women are. You know, disproportionately affected by rape and sexual abuse and all that sort of violence and how you know his supporting of Kavanaugh kind of was a way of turning his back on a lot of the concerns that a lot of Alaska Native women face every day and so it was just really powerful piece and it was one of our most popular pieces that we've ever published on on the Midnight Sun and I think a lot of Native Alaska Native women a lot of people in the community a lot of people just in general kind of looked at that and said oh yeah like that is a problem, you know, it is a problem. And I think it, it was something that um, has been bothering people for a long time in Alaska. And I was right. really glad that uh, we were able to give her a spot and really glad that she was able to sort of bravely write about this. Um, I'm sure it's not like an easy thing to, to do to sort of top raise that issue. Um, right. It's speaking truth to power. You know, it's 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 raising uncomfortable issues. And she, uh, you know, she pointed out that, you know, I've been to fish camp uh, doesn't hold up if you're if you're passing laws and uh, voting in a way that harms the people that live there. Yeah. And um, I think the, I think the other thing, too, is that I think Alaskans really want to believe that we are, um, you know, past these racial issues, past kind of this, these divides. But I think, you know, like they really are still there. I think, you know, this week Dermot Cole was looking a lot at um, examining the, the administration's claims about education in Alaska. And I think we all kind of have this idea that Alaska schools are, are failing. They're like last in the class for the country. But if you like examine the numbers, it's the the education system is working pretty well for for white students and, and students who don't qualify for free and reduced lunches, which is kind of our proxy for rich students and poor students. Or yeah, it, there's kind of a I think sort of two things going on here is that the governor's budget does sort of make some of these divides deeper, and in doing so, I think has revealed these divides that have been there for a long time, and they're not necessarily his fault, but you know he's not doing anything to solve them with his budget and if anything he's making them worse and so for him to be claiming that you know his budget is is free of criticism on any of these fronts because his wife is you know is alaska native i think is particularly kind of galling to a lot of people yeah and and you pointed this out in your article as well a lot of the opposition to the dunleavy show was 
led by uh, women of color. There were there were two women who stood up in his Anchorage meeting, uh, the one you were at, and they uh, mm-hmm. they just silently unfurled this banner that said "Recall Dunleavy." Uh, in Nome, there was an incredibly powerful moment. Melanie Benke, who is the CEO and and president of the Coeric Corporation, the regional corporation, uh, r- just silently rose her hand and waited to be called on and people offered to give her uh you know the little three by five note cards to write her question and she didn't she wasn't having any of it and then all of her Mm -hmm. supporters started just pointing at her and so there's this there's this great photo of all these people in the room pointing at at her and eventually they just took the gravity from the meeting and they they had no choice but to address her and she stood up and she gave a long speech about how the public process works it was a very powerful moment. And the thing that stood out to me, I watched the video of her speech and you've got this row of like, like kind of uncomfortable fidgety white dudes in the front. And you've got like these powerful Alaskan native women standing in the back, speaking their mind and heart. And at the end, like those are the guys that don't applaud, you know, the the people in the kind of mm-hmm. uncomfortable seat of privilege are sort of like waiting for her to say her thing so they can, finish ignoring it and then and and it's just so i i don't know i i I see this um it's good that we're having this discussion like i i am i'm a white male you are kind of pass as a white male i guess right you're you're part part mexican and yeah but I, i would i would acknowledge that i grew up relatively well to do i guess yeah relatively but speaking i grew up in southwest portland so well, okay, but my dad was a student uh, most of the time. But yeah, yeah. People, people aren't yelling at you to like go back to your country. No. Right. So the, um, I I went to this thing this week. The um, there was a uh, it was a diversity, equity, inclusion training for um kind of arts cohorts, and it was just done locally here in Juneau. Um, so a lot of people from like Perseverance Theater and um local organizations, things like that. Uh, the Juneau Arts Humanities Council showed up, and it was, um it was really eye-opening. It was, it was really important. We went through this exercise that, that kind of, uh, evaluated art. And then at the end said, it it asked this question of like, who gets to decide what is beautiful. And it was kind of this aha moment of like, right. The people in power who have influence get to decide what is beautiful or right or lawful. And everyone else is kind of on the outside of that. And every other experience is on the outside of that. Um, and it's, you know, I can't know what it's like to be an Alaska native, but, but I can understand that it's got to be incredibly frustrating to have, have, uh, people who have lived in a place for 10,000 plus years who are fighting to even have their voices heard, to, to even be able to have an opinion, uh, much less have that opinion acted on. You know, you see in the governor this week, you know, he, he was sort of saying in response to all the, the out the, the backlash to his budget, you know, is that oh, there, there's the real Alaskans out there, the hardworking Alaskans that the private sector Alaskans who support this. And I think, you know, I think a that's any, you know, any kind of dismissed everybody else is these uh, union sort of thugs right. who just, you know, are standing out, standing up for what standing up for services that affect them, which is. I don't know. That's how things work. But also, I think it is there's a lot of like coded language in there as far as, you know, working Alaskans who can't take time off. And it's kind of it it does sort of, I think, try to divide us a little bit. You know, it's it's a wedge saying that if you're a hardworking private sector Alaskan, 
you can't possibly, um, you know, you don't possibly need these services and you can't possibly imagine a world where the services would be needed. And I think that's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And Marion pointed that out to me that he's essentially saying that civic engagement is for lazy people. And it's, and it's, that's yeah. so hard for me to hear. Like I have this, I basically have a part-time job, you know, I'm doing, I'm not making a lot of money off this podcast, you know, that we do. And I follow the legislature and I, I advocate online and I, you know, it's, it's that advocacy comes from a place of wanting Alaska to be a better state, you know? And so to hear that, like, you know, I'm doing it because I don't have a job or I'm doing it because of what, you know, like I have a, I have a, a thriving business and, you know, I, I want Alaska to be a good place to live and work and for other people to have the same opportunities that I've had and and not just because of the color of their skin and it's so hard to to hear someone discount discount a whole section of of Alaska's people just because they don't agree with them it would be just so much better to say I hear what you're saying and I disagree with you right and it's it's not that hard it's not that hard to say it's not that big of an ask it's like I understand what you want but I disagree and I think this is the right answer right and I think that's I think that's kind of gets again to the kind of the core problem I'm having with a lot of the budget. And this is probably a whole discussion for another time. But like you look at kind of how they're building it and how they're justifying it. And so many of the things that they're pointing to as far as like how things could be better are so incredibly cherry picked. You know, I'll touch just very briefly on, you know, they're talking a lot about Colorado, which has this constitutional amendment where every single uh, tax needs to be put to the voters. And so surprise, very few taxes have passed, but there, but still uh, Colorado has a very high and bustling economy right now. And so you kind of look at that and you, if you take that, all those, those two things as, you know, connected and, and at face value, you go, okay, great. That actually maybe, maybe it does work. But then you start looking at, um, you know, the, the educational divide there uh, between the haves and the have nots. And it's just as bad as Alaska is. You know, there's a huge divide. You look at um, there's wealthy school districts, there's school districts where they're still using uh, history books that end with the Clinton administration, for example. Um, you look at how their economy is booming. And a lot of it's because, oh, they have a highly educated workforce. Uh, they have a high quality of life. They have, you know, there's all these sort of things that all these other pieces that are, are not really part of the conversation. And I feel like it's not really this very honest look at how the budget is. And I think that's what's frustrating because I think there is a world where, you know, conservative budgeting probably does work, right? Where it maybe does have some sort of elements of prosperity, kind of broadly speaking. Maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't solve a lot of the 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 inequalities that we have, but you know, maybe there I would imagine that I would at least imagine there's a world where some of that stuff works. And um they just don't seem to be particularly serious in looking for that, even that, you know, they don't really have an answer for how you know how does how do we kind of backfill all these dollar edu- public education dollars that they're proposing to cut and they don't have any answer other than the oil economy is going to be better like that's not an answer for a lot of residents that's not an answer for like the senior citizens or people who have you know substance abuse issues or or young people or who like care about the environment being around for a while like that's what I think is really frustrating. It doesn't seem like the vision that's being built here is a vision for everyone. It's no. a vision for a certain kind of people. And and I think the code wording for a lot of that is you're kind of Ma- general Matsu voter, I think. Um, and there's not a lot of room for anybody else. 
Yeah, and this goes beyond con- fiscal conservatism. I mean, like it, it, it makes sense to say, listen, we can't buy every cloud in the sky and and drop in the ocean. We need to draw the line somewhere. But there's to do that, there needs to be an evaluation of what we want Alaska to look like. And I feel like this has been very much a like ideology first, backfill the budget later approach and you know we've we've talked about that up before but it's it's frustrating to see how little how little scrutiny has been given to any one part of this and how a lot of these studies are kind of coming after yeah. the decisions have been made um so okay so the end of the roadshow wrapped up uh, in in uh, the matsu and the final question uh was described by the frontiersman as a uh, <laughs> as a big softball which he crushed and uh, it, it was, do you have a big red pen? So uh, that's, of course, alluding to the line item veto. Basically, what's going to happen is the governor's saying that he's going to come around and uh, the legislature can do whatever they want, and he's going to just strike out the items in the budget that, that he doesn't um, he doesn't like. Right. And that's a power that the governor in Alaska has. It's a, um, it's, it's a power that uh, I think something like about a little more than half the states have this line item veto. Um, Alaska's is a little bit unusual because we have such a high threshold to overturn a veto. We have a three-quarters majority. Most states have a, have a two-thirds. The line-item vetoes, when they come back to the legislature, come back individually, um, but then can be bundled by the legislature to be considered as a group. So even though the budget is one bill, the veto question apparently is not one question when it returns. Right. Does that sound like where we are? In yeah, I mean, discussion? the Constitution more or less says uh, overridden appropriation bills or items can be become law by a three-quarter vote or 45 members of the legislature so um so yeah so they can i mean it says so there there's a portion in there that says they can try to yeah i'm getting down on the weeds there no that's okay i mean i don't mind getting off in the weeds a little bit like the uh so there's actually like an example i think it was 2009 so like hoffman and stedman were still involved in this um, you know, they're around now, so they'll probably be formative in, in kind of setting the tone. But the, uh, like they said, shall the question that they asked was, shall the appropriations in, and then they kind of include a laundry list of line item vetoes, um, shall those become law? And so by bundling those motions, they were able to kind of address all of the line item vetoes at once. In that instance, they were sustained. Um, it'll be interesting, I think, from a strategic point of view, it'll be interesting to see if the legislature wants to bundle vetoes. I don't even know if they can count to 45, but if, if you can get 45 people who care about one thing, are you going to try and bundle in other things to, um, you know, to, to sweeten the deal? So um, let's say I'm a legislator from Juneau and you're a legislator from Anchorage, and we both have a, a pet project that we don't want to get cut. Like mm-hmm. maybe I like the ferries and you like the roads or whatever, and so do we bundle our things together in kind of an, a, a, an agreement that this is what the budget's going to look like, and that's I think going to be the question at the end of the day. Does that does that yeah. seem? Accurate I think so. To you? I think I mean I think a lot of these conversations are beginning to play out right now. I think there's um, I've heard a little bit of talk and suggestion that uh, you know um, maybe maybe the PFD payback becomes part of the discussion here. Um, maybe. Uh, you know, maybe there are, maybe there is room for a larger PFD after all, if, if it means we can agree on the budget, um, uh, the broad strokes of the budget as far as education and university and that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, so it's so it's going to take a little unraveling to figure out what line item vetoes look like and what they mean. But at the end of the day, I think that you know it gets back to this question of like who is it for? And you know, I, I guess the thing that's been really tough for me to kind of admit and come to um, that I've been trying to like wrap my head around lately is that like I think that we're all a little bit racist by virtue of being part of a system that is has like racism baked in, into it so you know it's it's easy if, if someone accuses you of being racist like it's easy to deflect and um defend that you know like i can't be racist i'm i'm married to an alaskan native woman or whatever the whatever your reason is for not being racist but i think that intrinsically we all have to examine um you know how how just and equitable our actions are uh in in light of the system that we've grown up in that you know like how has that impacted and, and affected the way we think is a, is a real important thing to examine yeah and i think it's especially kind of it's tough though right now because i think we're kind of having a, a broader conversation about it right now i think a lot of people are maybe some idea some minds are being changed and i think you know there's there's stuff like the alaska um, or the house special committee on tribal affairs that i think actually is doing some really good work as far as like um, explaining and working through some of these issues. So I think Alaskans are starting to kind of come along a little bit, to some degree on here. But again, you, you fall back on the this backdrop of the veto. And so this guy can kind of do whatever he wants, you know, whatever he sort of feels like on July 1 that he doesn't want to be in the budget. He can just ax those out. And it's sort of this growing unity running up against a single person and his ideology. And I think so I, I guess the, one of the takeaways I, I felt during the roadshow hearings this week was like, damn, I, I really don't agree with a lot of this. But, you know, on some level with this with his line item veto power that he has, like, I hope he's right. Like, I hope there is some sort of like method to all this madness and and maybe maybe cutting everything is the right thing to do, because it kind of looks like there's it's going to be difficult to see any other outcome sort of taking place. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of feeling sort of depressed and sometimes I think a little resigned to it just because, you know, I, I think that the the work to, to, to try to build a, a veto override coalition is going to be very important and very necessary. But, you know, I don't think there's going to be, do I think there's going to be broad support for like increasing the university's budget um, with 46 votes? I don't think so. Like there's a, are they going to be able to stop all the cuts to the Marine highway? I don't really think so. And so kind of under that context, like, I'm really worried for a lot of this. Like, I there's kind of, you know, there's not a guarantee that all this stuff will get better on its own. Like, we it will really require everyone to continue to stay engaged and to, to help and encourage these legislators to build a veto-proof um, override coalition. And I think, so I think, like, even though there's all these sort of possibilities, I think we need to continue to go to war and go to battle for what we believe in. And, and hopefully the legislators... Um, come along too yeah and that that um the language used there like go to war go to battle like it's not so much a a, a battle as it, as it is um you know we're just trying to get someone to listen who doesn't want to listen and how right. do you how do you how do you help someone hear you you know when they've got their fingers in their ears and and i think that it kind of goes back to the thing with melanie Benke this week she did that in such a uh poised and dignified and respectable way uh, you know she wasn't yelling she didn't like her her protest was like the best possible kind of protest she 
just took the entire gravity of the room and absorbed it and took just took the floor and and made herself centered herself in the conversation in a way that was done using her power as a you know as a leader in her community and so i think that the more we can elevate voices like hers you know if if we can be that person in the room pointing at the person that 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 has the message for the governor i think that that's that's our role right yeah but i mean i think to to at least to, to be the to be the, i feel like i'm being a little bit of uh what is it um a depression troll or something on on here but like <laughs> but i feel like on some level like you know is 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 i think there's a very still i think a really real very real question you know is he refusing to listen or is he hearing and choosing to ignore you know and so i think that I think that's something that's still worth debating. And I think that's kind of, I think that's me sort of starting to reach into his head and heart and try to try to judge that, which I think is, you know, is, is, is can be fraught. But I do believe, I, I guess I worry that maybe they're not playing like fair. And I, I think that's, I think, where I think the the, the angry women hold, or the the women holding up the the recall Dunleavy sign and a little more and and Brenda Evac and um in the Nome Airport who got arrested like the civil disobedience angle of it is I think going to be an important component of the resistance I think I think you're right that that um, the woman standing up with her hand up is an important part of that but I do think that. I, you know, there there's some people in here affected by this budget that are are really affected by it, whose like way of life is really kind of coming under attack, and for them, I think it's it's reasonable to to demonstrate and protest like that too. So I think there's kind of multiple ways to approach this, and I'm really glad that people are finding all their different ways to do it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I it's so hard for me to, I mean, I don't mind disruptive protest, but it's so hard for me to to i i just can't get on board with like violent protest and i feel like uh you know the more loud and disruptive protest becomes and the more mob like it becomes the more it it starts veering in that direction and um and so that's the i guess i would it's i I don't want to like say anyone's doing it the wrong way but i want to just be really cautious that we're not um you know that we're remembering that there's a human being on the other end of the decision-making process yeah. and that and that person can't can change their mind um and i don't think it i don't think a fist is going to do it yeah i think so too i think you know turning that up to 11 right off the bat is is tough i mean and that's the thing too i mean you look at some of the people who are kind of the wait and seers a little bit and you know that the, there is the fact that like a lot of these decisions are just proposals right now and they are um you know they aren't going to happen necessarily without you know multiple people signing off along the way as far as the legislature but you know there that's where i come back to the fact that he's got this line item veto is that he can unilaterally sort of employ some of or deploy some of this vision and and that is i think is what um has me really nervous for for later this year so yeah well we'll see what happens and, and what comes of it alaska has a lot of migration and the areas that support dunleavy are the areas that have the highest net migration. And so, you know, I think some of this to some extent comes from a, a lack of an understanding of our history or a, or a lack of understanding, you know, who we are and what our trajectory is. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the first in the nation anti-discrimination laws. I mean, even this year, we, you know, recently we elected our first Alaska Native Speaker of the House. Um, we have a coalition between far right, you know, what we thought of was once very far right um, Republicans and, and Democrats and, and rural people and that we kind of never thought we would see in a million years. And so I think there are there are a lot of elements of, of hope and I think positive action that are, are, are going on that I think you know, we've we've kind of overcome great difficulties in the past and hopefully we'll come together and do it now, too. And yeah. so um, I think there's there's part of me that is the is going to still be the depression troll about everything. <laughs> but I think at the same time, like I, I will be one of the first people to like get excited and hopeful about yeah. sort of the positive actions that are going on in the state I, right now. I think you've got to hang on to that hope, because if you don't have hope, then there's no reason to be doing anything, you know, like why are we even talking about this? Like I'm, I'm here because I have hope that the yeah. more we talk about things um, and you know, the more that are, that some of these ideas and some of the um, stories that we're trying to elevate that they'll spread and become part of who we are as Alaskans. And I, you know, I, I think that, that there's, I think there's gotta be hope or else you just don't have anything to work towards. Yeah. And maybe that hope changes and evolves over time. I don't, you know, <laughs> but but you gotta have you gotta have something to chase after, right? I'm gonna advocate for everyone living in a giant single domed building in off the key. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seward success. Uh, yes. Okay, we need to do an episode on Seward success sometime. Yeah. All right. So uh, the thing I need to chase after right now is brunch, and so uh, I think that's the end of this episode. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Right. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. See you later. That was a good stuff, Matt. Yeah. Yeah.